You are now entering Frida's world. Join us as we address various issues facing women of color in the workplace. We'll help you navigate your professional and personal life the Frida way. Whose world is this? It's Frida's world. What's it like? What's it like? Classy and ratchet at the same time. You clash it. Like you love church music, but you f*** future. That's clash it. It's Frida's world. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Frida's World. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. And as always, I hope you guys are having an amazing week. So I just wanted to thank last week's guest, uh, Shani Farmer, for just all of the positive jewels and gems that she dropped on last week's episode. Since since the drop of her episode, I've gotten a lot of text messages, emails, DMs, just saying how much they appreciated the content, how much they appreciated her viewpoint, her perspective, and that a lot of the things that she said reaffirmed some of the things that they were currently going through. So I wanted to really thank her so much and also the HBCU Experience Movement for providing her as a guest on this platform. And so today we actually have another guest by the name of Jocelyn Alexander, who is part of the HBCU experience. She is a co-author, just like Shani was, of the HBCU experience, North Carolina A&T University second edition book. So today she's going to talk about herself, obviously, and she's going to talk about her uh, venture, her side job, as we like to call them. She is the owner and operator of Stamped Travel, which is a travel um, experience agency, really. And so she's going to get into um, the meat of that. But um, we are also going to talk about you know, her chapter in this amazing book that is actually out today, September 30th. So if you have not done so already, go on to Amazon and purchase the HBCU Experience North Carolina A&T second edition. Um, whether you went to an HBCU or not, whether you are planning on sending your children there, I think it's just a great book that highlights black excellence. I think during this time that we're in right now, we need to surround ourselves with black positivity. We need to engulf ourselves in the content and experiences that reflect, you know, the black experience. And so I think this is a better time um, than ever for a book like this to just come out just to showcase um, not just the importance of HBCUs and the history and, and, and the importance of them, but the individuals who came out of these institutions and to see the amazing things that they're doing, the great strides that they've made. Um, so, you know. I don't really have, <laughs> normally I have like some, you know, some other spiel, but I really want to get into this interview with uh, Jocelyn. I think you guys will, will enjoy it. So please stay tuned for the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very special guest, Jocelyn Alexander. Jocelyn, please say hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Jocelyn, thank you so much for being a guest on the Free As World platform. I'm really excited to get into conversation with you today. Yes, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So, Jocelyn, please let us know a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you're from. 
Sure. Okay. I am Jocelyn Alexander. Uh, first and foremost, I am the wife of Theo Alexander and the mommy of Addison Alexander, who's 18 months. Um, in addition to that, I happen to be, uh, by day, <laughs> a uh, program and project manager um, and a specialist in the area of organizational change management. Um, and uh, I employ that through government contracting. So I'm a business consultant for the government and I have been now um, working in the contractor, I, I should say, space uh, since graduation, since uh, 2005. Um, I am a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University. My um, bachelor's is in electrical engineering, so it strayed away <laughs> from what I do now. It's vastly <laughs> different than what I went to school for, but the tooling um, and kind of skill sets that it equipped me with um, absolutely translate to what I do today. So we can get into a little bit more about that later if you like. Yes, definitely. In addition to that, um, I am the owner-operator of stamped travel. It is what I like to call an experience-based or experience-focused travel agency. So um, it's my job to create an experience and memories um, that you'll live with forever. More than just a passport stamp, you'll have those memories to take with you for a lifetime. Your stories to share with families, friends, and um, associates. Um, and I take great pride in that. And um, I like to bring that experience to, to anybody who's looking for it. Okay, great. I mean, you definitely said a lot and I, I love it. I love when I have Black women who are doing so many different things. Like you have your job by day, you have your job by night, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that that's essentially what, you know, the epitome of Black women, right? We always have our hands in so many different things, but we're yeah. doing, you know, we're doing well as we're doing the many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I actually am really interested in the stamped travel because right now, I, I mean, Personally, me, I love to travel. And a lot of the listeners um, on this show love to travel as well. But with Corona, Mm -hmm. a lot of people have been very hesitant with traveling and they're wondering whether or not this industry will ever, you know, be the way that it was. Like, what is travel going to look like? And so for someone who owns and operates a, a travel company, a travel agency, could you talk a little bit about, you know, what the industry is looking like right now and like what, I guess, what travel, what travel looks like in the future? Sure. Um, so there, there was, of course, a period of um, necessary halt mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to travel. And I think that that was very wise and completely necessary. Um, it's absolutely rebounding now. Um, mm-hmm. People are taking great advantage of um, different deals and, and um, flight prices and things like that of the sort. Uh, maybe some people are throwing a little bit of caution to the wind. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're seeing now is that you're seeing a lot of single people traveling. Mm-hmm. You're seeing a lot of people who don't necessarily have um, uh, the familiar ties or constraints of worrying about a husband at home, a, ch- a child at home, a wife at home, um, to where those things would maybe make them be a little bit more cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, so you're seeing a lot more single travel. 
um, which is fine. I think that there is a segment of the industry that's perfectly built for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are certain destinations that are absolutely prepared and ready for it. Um, we, I, So my job, what I've taken it as my job during this time is to get as smart as I can on the locations and what they're doing um, through this time so that I can best advise clients. Okay. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of travel to places like uh, Mexico, Jamaica, things like that in the Caribbean that have an established tourism base, mm-hmm. uh, people who were equipped to be able to respond to things like this or, or countries who are equipped to be able to respond to things like this. Um, so you're seeing heightened uh, uh, cleaning measures. You're seeing heightened checks at entry points when it comes to customs and things like that. Um, but you got to think about the fact that in countries like Mexico and Jamaica, tourism is such a major part of their um, economy that they're going to do everything they can to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. And then and that's exactly what we're seeing. So, um, you know, while I, I probably, I'll put it this way, I am more cautious about sending a, um, a client to Las Vegas than I would be about sending them to Mexico. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I've been seeing a lot of travel to Mexico. Tulum, for whatever reason, seems to be the destination of choice. And Puerto Rico. Those have been the two countries that I've seen a lot of of traffic. A lot of I have a couple of friends actually who just came back from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot on Instagram um, with just people just going to Tulum. Like I haven't seen any Cancun or or Cabo, but for some reason Tulum seems to be um, the destination of choice. Yeah, so Tulum is a really, really, um, it's it's your place you go for relaxation, Mm -hmm. and it's where you go for a bit of seclusion. So that might be in part why you're seeing more there. I am seeing people in, say, Cabo and Puerto Vallarta and things like that, but um, Tulum is built for relaxation. It's built for a bit of solitude um, and things of the like. people don't tend to talk about it too much because you have to drive so far past Cancun to get to it. I see. But it's worth it. It's, <laughs> it's worth it once you take the extra, you know, hour or so that it takes to get there. Um, and so again, with the prices being where they are, a lot of people are able to venture out a little bit more um, to destinations that, you know, might not be as mainstream as some of the others. So I think that's likely why you're seeing a bit more of okay. the, but also because of the offerings that it has for solo and single travel. Yeah, you know, I was thinking myself, like, this would be a great time to travel. But, you know, the paranoia then starts to kick in when you're like, huh, sure. I don't know if Trump's going to close the borders. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get stuck and stranded in another country. So, but I have been seeing a lot of risk takers, a lot of, like you said, yeah. solo travel. Mm-hmm. This is a great time to do it. I, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> with risk considered, um, yes. as long as you're taking the necessary precautions that you can take, um, airlines are beginning to fill back up, um, meaning that they are seating everybody in every seat and things like that. That's mm-hmm. across the board. A lot of I saw something the other day when there was um, something about an American Airlines flight that was jam-packed. Um, but it's, I mean, you know, Southwest is now filling middle seats as well. Like it's, you know, it's everybody 
But some airlines are taking the cleaning procedures and the every doing everything that you can outside of, you know, those things a lot more seriously than others. Okay. So, I mean, you can take precautions. Um, you know, of course, I would still always advise people to take the necessary precautions. I would advise people to continue wearing their face masks, continue um, their hand sanitizing, they continue to keep their hands away from their face mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. Everything else that's, that's being advised by scientists, um, but it's doable. You can do it. Um, and then to quarantine when you, you know, when you return. Okay. So being responsible, you can, you know, you can take these, uh, these adventures, you can create these memories. And because of circumstances right now, you can probably do it on a bit of a deal. Yeah. I mean, I saw these $89 round trip tickets to Puerto Rico and I was just dying inside like, man. (laughs) Right. And Puerto Rico is another one. So I've been a couple of times. It's one of my favorite places. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, remember, it's still a U.S. territory. So it's not Mm -hmm. like you need a passport or anything to go. Um, There's no customs issues or anything like that. Uh, But um, it's it's just a very chill place. And it allows you to do like naturally you can go to San Juan and um and seclude yourself you can you know you can have that kind of private trip Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to get around um there's also things outside of the city that are very friendly um i've been to uh the rainforest that's in puerto rico el yunque it's gorgeous and it's easy to hike it's easy to get through um you know it's it's wasn't some crowded or overly crowded trail or anything like that. Uh, my friends and I, when we went, went our own, we didn't take a tour guide or anything like that. We were able to get to it on our own. We were able to follow the trail signs on our own. And we're not some experienced hikers or anything like that. <laughs> um, so there, I mean, there's plenty of things to do and you can do it. Um, you can do it safely. You can do it smartly. And yeah, Puerto Rico is just a really, really nice place that we should feel very blessed to have as a piece of um, U.S. territory that we can get to so easily. Definitely, definitely. And it's, it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people do forget that Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory and that you do not need a passport to go. So you can right. go to the Caribbean <laughs> yeah, without having a passport. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's, and it's a wise thing to do. It's such a beautiful place. The culture is there still so rich. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't stripped <laughs> as much as some other places. You know, you'll find your, like here and there, you'll find art. And I, I know my friends and I noticed that you're not going to find like a whole bunch of like fast food restaurants and stuff like that, which I thought was great. Um, it's a lot more uh, simple and easy to get um, kind of the authentic culture while you're mm-hmm. there. It's a really, really beautiful place. Yeah, I've been there twice. I went to San Juan. Um, when I did, I did a solo trip for myself. And then after that, there was a group chi- uh, trip to get Arecebo, which is like an hour outside. And we did like a villa right on a beach. So it was really nice, really, like you said, secluded, yeah. um, but just beautiful. Yeah, it is. And people should take more advantage of it. It's a, it's a really nice place. Okay. So now, you know, that, you know, owning and operating a travel agency sounds like it's a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. as it's, as you have a full-time day job sure. <laughs> as a project, as a program manager. Um, so I am interested in, in learning a little bit more about what, um, what is, I guess you have an emphasis on organization, on, uh, organizational change management. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is organizational change management? Sure. Um, 
you often hear about restructuring and reorganizations and things like that. So when an organization is ready or going through a change, um, they bring in a change management professional such as myself to align kind of their strategic visioning and strategic goals with actionable plans that they can um, that they can inst- kind of instill in their structure. Um, in addition to that, my role is to also focus on the workforce. So a lot of what I do right now with the current client is I'm focused on things like workforce communication. So how can we speak to the workforce to keep them informed, to keep them engaged, which is really important, um, and to continue kind of uh, honoring or um, what's the word I'm looking for, earning their buy-in when it Mm -hmm. comes to these changes, because that's really important. Um, when you're doing things, you want to bring the workforce along with you, not not having them uh, dragging behind you, you know, fighting tooth and nail. You want them to be a part of the change. Um, so that's some of the work that I do as, a, as an organizational change management specialist. Okay, great. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's all these different um you know, important key pieces when we're thinking about, you know, companies, businesses, like you said, restructuring. And we don't necessarily think that there are like actual, um, you know, whole different, like, I guess, careers, right? Like, you know, a lot of people are just so used to, okay, I do business or I do management, I do marketing, but the intricacies, um, people are not so familiar with that. So I think it's great that, you know, you have such a unique title, I call it unique because most people, I think, would also say, I don't know anybody who's an organizational change management specialist. Um, so yeah, people don't great. always use them. You know, companies don't always use them. And it's, sometimes it's a, a collateral duty, which mm-hmm. can be, you know, can be dangerous. Okay. Um, well, it can be detrimental is what I should say. Dangerous is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but it can be, it can be detrimental a bit if you're leaving out the part of thinking through um, how to continue engage and how to bring everybody along with you on this change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that, uh, it's here for me to think about. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> one those, it's one of those kind of like problem solving things that engineering taught me. Um, and that's how I look at it. Okay. So I guess I have an even larger question for you, right? I mean, you own your own travel agency. You are a program manager for this very unique, with this very unique title, very, you know, uh, sophisticated title, you know, in in this world of electrical engineering. How is it that you have time now to be an author? Oh, man. Uh, I was (laughs) very nervous about that. Mm -hmm. Um, more so because the, you know, the role and position that takes up most of my time is, is mommy, you mm-hmm. know, that, <laughs> I, you know, during this period of time, I had a little bit of a, you know, we'll call it a break with the travel agency. Um, so I, I did have some time to, to kind of refocus. Um, and I really, it was just a matter of taking a chance. Okay. Um, I knew that I had something to share uh, on the experience. I knew that I had something to say. Um, I am an Aggie through and through, and I absolutely love my university and what it um, what it gave me and what I know that it can uh, give to others. Mm-hmm. So um, I was willing to take the chance to put that extra pressure kind of on it. And then in addition to that, just... Uh, the folks leading the HBC, HBCU experience movement are amazing. 
Um, I know you, we've been on emails with Ashley mm-hmm. um, and she's awesome. <laughs> and yeah. so she's kind of that guiding force to make sure that things stayed orderly and you knew when deadlines were coming and, um, you know, you knew when uh, those were things that could not be missed. And she's, a, she's as sweet as they come. She really is. But she's about her business. Um, mm-hmm. So she was going to make sure that you fully understood what you were getting into and what the requirements were and when she needed you to act and get things done. So it's been a real pleasure to work with her. Um, and I know that both um, Fred Whitaker and uh, Uche Bird are also at the helm of these things. And they've really got a good thing going. So, um, yeah, I, I, working with a team like that, when you know that you have people like that that are um, – so focused, so about their business and who have a formula now that they've created for this. Um, Then, so I was able to easily trust in that. And then it was just about me delivering just on my small piece. Cause to me, that's what it was. It really just was a, you know, a small piece. I didn't, they didn't ask me for a lot. They didn't ask for, I didn't write the whole book. You know, I'm a contributing author. And so dipping my toe into that writing, um, was a great experience. Um, and, and I'm just lucky and really thankful, um, that actually reached out to me to even be a part of it. Okay. So you went to North Carolina, A&T state university, correct? That's right. Yeah, you're right. Cool. And so, um, you know, I've spoken to a few other individuals, um, who are part of this HBCU experience, um, second edition book that's coming out, right? I think the actual title is the HBCU experience, North Carolina A&T State University second edition. Right. And, um, you know, so we, we talked about their experience at North Carolina A&T. Um, but we really wanted, you know, we really went into a conversation about just the HBCU experience um, period and kind of what ex- inspired them to get, in, you know, to even attend an HBCU. So if you could maybe just, you know, explain to me a little bit about what inspired you to attend an HBCU and what your overall experience was there. Yeah. So coming into it, I honestly, I, I did not have any HBCUs originally on my college application list. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted to go into engineering at the time. I was thinking I was going into computer engineering, um, which is close to what I did. But um, so I, I was looking at the heavy engineering schools and things like that, but there were no HBCUs on my list. I grew up in Pennsylvania outside of uh, the Philadelphia area, a place mm-hmm. called Norristown, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, I didn't want to go to Drexel. It was too close. <laughs> um, so schools like Carnegie Mellon out in Pittsburgh were on my list. Georgia Tech was high on my list. I spent some time over the um, summer before my senior year there um, and, and loved it. And it's funny because when I think about it, I recall that one of the requirements when I was looking at schools mm-hmm. was their minority population. And I remember, and I was, I was really thinking about this before we... Um, before we, you know, got on this call, like over the weekend, I was thinking about it. Um, I remember it being very important or very impressive to me that Georgia Tech had 11% minority population. Really? Yep. And at the time, <laughs> that was high. The other schools I was looking at might, you know, were in the single digits. And um, a lot of schools had maybe had like max 9%, things like that. But here was this great engineering school that had 11, a whopping 11% minority. 
Um, so, you know, they, that was, that was where I was going to go. Cause I was going to get to see some of me. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't until I had a friend, um, who I was, I was in, uh, so there's the national society of black engineers and they have this program called the pre-college initiative. And I was in a program run by, um, some black employees at Merck pharmaceutical. And, um, you know, I encountered, a guy, Canel Smallwood, that I became really good friends with, um, who went to a school, you know, different than mine, not even the same high school and things like that. And his grandfather went to A&T. So as we're talking about schools, he's like, you got to apply to A&T. You got to apply to a and I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> you know, I'll apply. No biggie. Um, so like I said, they, I mean, it was very casual for me. They, they weren't, they weren't on the list. I did look it up. I saw that they were, um, an engineering or had a large engineering program. I saw that, you know, they had my major. I saw that um, they put out the most black engineers in the country. So there, I gained some interest with them, but I was still thinking I was going to Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, applied. I got early acceptance in October. So I graduated high school um, 2001. So this is October th- 2000. I got acceptance. And um, luckily I have parents. This is my first acceptance letter. Okay. So my parents were like, well, let's go. Let's, let's go visit. And this is October. <laughs> As we're traveling to an HBCU, it happened to be homecoming weekend. <laughs> so, and if you've ever heard anybody talk about A&T, we take pride in the fact that we have the greatest homecoming on earth. So that's what I walked into. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to seeing all the people, seeing all the love for their university, um, seeing all the food and fun, I, uh, seeing the band, the game, everything like that, I got to actually tour the campus and I got to meet um, the the Dean of Electrical Engineering, Dr. Kelly at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was amazing. Like he, he talked to me about, you know, myself and where I could, where he could see me in the university. Um, and that did so much for me. So I walked away from that weekend visit knowing that a t was it. Um, so that, that was how I got there. All right. And so while then, you know, being a student, like how, how would you say your experience there, um, I guess, tr- you know, formed you into the professional that you are today? Yeah, so I've been talking to some people about this. It, it, um, just being around so many people that look like you with the same goals, mm-hmm. um, and you're no longer, you know, you're no longer, I, I was still smart, but I was no longer one of the smartest people in the room. <laughs> there were plenty of people there that, you know, that looked like me, but were also excelling um, and were smarter than I could have, you know, really ever thought about. And so they gave me a new goal to reach for. Um, and so just, just that alone though, um, and the camaraderie that it built gave me confidence. I, I can walk in, I've told other people, I can walk into any conference room, any boardroom and know, um, that I'm going to bring value to the conversation that I'm there because I deserve to be there because I earned being there. Um, and the other people in the room are going to benefit from me being there. And that's that. I mean, when it comes down to it, that's what I got from A and T. That that came from from that experience. Okay. And so your experience is now going to be shared in this book called the HBCU Experience: North Carolina A and T State University Second Edition. 
Um, when mm-hmm. is that, um, when is this book going to be released? Yeah, we're looking at a couple weeks out where, you know, it's, it's slated for the end of September. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ashley and team is working hard towards that goal. Um, and, uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. But yeah, we're looking at the end of September. So I know we're only a couple of weeks away from that. Okay. Now I know that we want people to purchase the book, right? But sure. can you share just a little bit about what your chapter is about or what your story is about? Yeah, I shared some of it, honestly, um, about my experience. So for me, it was about my journey to A&T, like how okay. I came to be, um, some of, a bit of that story of how I uh, came to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what were those things that drew me to it okay. and what I gained from it? Um, so I, I think that's what mine is really focused on. My chapter okay. is really focused on. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, the fact that you can share your experience in such a way, because, you know, right now we're in this, this season in a sense where, you know, there's a lot of racial tensions going on within our communities. And I think students who never before would have thought about attending an HBCU are now starting to lean that way. So I think it's really important because there are a lot of misconceptions, um, especially with people who are not used to this concept of an HBCU. Um, And I say that as the child of of an immigrant. um, And I was talking to one of the other um, guests about this, you know, my, my mom came to America when she was, I'm near 40 mm-hmm. um, and my entire family is a family of immigrants. So it, you know, this concept of HBCU, it's not, it's not something that we knew. Um, and I recall when I was younger watching shows like different world and right. watching the Cosby's and I loved watching them, but it never actually sunk to me or sunk in that these uh, college settings were nonfiction, like were, were actually real, that they wasn't just sure. fiction. Uh, and I think that that's, the experience of a lot of um, individuals who just never really had a connection to that, never saw that, or was, you know, just, you know, sold that, listen, you know, the real world is comprised of everybody. So you want to be used to everyone. And so there's so many things that I think that we were sold um, when we were younger, that it's good to, to have individuals step out and share like, no, like I am the CEO of this and I, you know, and I went here and that, you know, it's, it's not what I guess the world makes it out to be. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, so for me, one of the things, one of the reasons why I wasn't looking to HBCUs originally is because the technical field that I knew that I was going into, Mm -hmm. it just never crossed my mind that an HBCU would be able to offer me what I needed for that field. And that was dead wrong because A&T is a powerhouse in the engineering world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that my only options were to go with these predominantly white institutions. And I think that that's something else that will be explored um, in the book is all that it offers. The other thing that you mentioned just about needing to be in a, a diverse environment because that's what the workforce looks like and things like that. That world is always there. We're always in it. We're always surrounded by it. What A&T taught me is that there's diversity among Black people as well. And you should not um, take that for granted. You know, there's, uh, there's nerds, there's preppies, there's people who came from low income, there's people who came from wealthy families. Um, there's all of this in this one place 
that still can can provide you with some understanding of self mm-hmm. and who you are and things like that. And that undoubtedly aided me as I go into um, the workforce. And yes, I do predominantly work with um, white people. Uh, you know, I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. Being in D.C., I get much more of a mix than I think some other people do. Yeah. Um, because I still think I have a, you know, a, a decent amount of um, uh, black coworkers that I'm able to to be around, black professionals that I'm able to be around. But yes, it is. It's predominantly white. It's predominantly white male. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, we we know all these things, but n- there's nothing about my experience that did not prepare me for that. Because I live in society. <laughs> yeah, that is true. There's <laughs> not if me going to this, you know, university, going to HBCU did not take away from the fact that I live in this society. So, um, yeah, I was extremely well prepared. And it's just like you said, the book presents all of us who are excelling and um, and doing well. And we all came from that same place and it hasn't hindered us one bit. And in fact, it promoted us. It gave us, you know, better insight. It, it gave us a networking um, platform that is beyond compare. So, yeah, I... I get a little excited when we talk about the fact of, you know, people misunderstanding the value Mm -hmm. of an HBCU. (laughs) Yeah. And I can tell you that I really do wish that when I was in high school coming up that a book like this would have existed because I think that I would have, you know, undoubtedly have chosen the route of an HBCU, Mm -hmm. Um, especially again, being, you know, from a very strict and very, closed immigrant um, family. Like I went to Haitian church, you know, (laughs) you know, everything, everything was the household was just no, we spoke Creole, we ate Haitian food, that's it. But to be able to, again, like you said, know that there is diversity among um, black people and just being able to learn about different types of, um, you know, like non, you know, I I only knew Caribbeans and and Africans, but we really didn't have a great sense of, um, you know, American black you know, sure. the history and things like that. So I would have loved to have a book like this when I was growing up. Um, so I definitely commend you and your co-authors for just, you know, doing this and really just moving the culture forward. Oh, thank you for that. Big, again, big thank you to Ashley, Uche and Fred for, for what they're doing to bring it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I commend them. Well, big shout out for them as well, too. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Jocelyn, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I think, you know, learning a little bit about who you are and then again, just really um, learning about your place in the book, I think Mm -hmm. is very inspirational. And I think that, you know, with a lot of us who are on this platform, we've already, you know, graduated. Some of us are, you know, um, well deep in our careers, but, you know, we have nieces, we have nephews, we have children even that where, you know, my son's 13, he's starting high school. So he's Mm going to be, you know, we're going to be thinking about colleges now with him. Um, and so I think having this information and just seeing, you know, just the, the excellence that exists in the book, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely necessary. And I think it's going to help us when it comes to that time of sending our kids away to school. I think so too. And that's, that's the goal. That's exactly 
uh, why I was open to tell him, you know, kind of my story of, of how I got there um, is that maybe it'll open somebody else's eyes um, as well and bring them to something that they might not have considered before as well. So yeah. that's awesome. I look forward to, to hearing about whatever greatness that your son is going to do as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Frida's World. Again, thank you, Jocelyn, for coming on the platform and sharing your story with us and just giving you your time. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. You're welcome. And with that being said, everyone, we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. It's Frida's World. What's it like? What's it like? Classy and ratchet at the same time. You clash it. Like you love church music, but you with future. That's classic. It's Frida's world.